Thanks for clicking play on the latest episode of the Iowa Revolution podcast. I am your host, Spencer Dirks, alongside my buddy and co-host, Dr. Bob Leonard. How are you doing, Dr. Bob? Really well. Weather is starting to warm up. And of course, remember, you can follow us on Twitter. We're at Iowa Revolution. If you ever want to reach out to us, you can contact us there. You can also email us iowarevolutionpod at gmail.com. We're part of the Iowa Podcasters Collaborative. And Dr. Bob is also a member of the Iowa Writers Collaborative. He has a deep Midwest substack, and you also have branched out into more nature writing as well. You've got a different substack for that. Yes, absolutely. It's uh, Cedar Creek Nature Notes. I go on a walk uh, every morning along Cedar Creek and see all kinds of in- interesting things and then sometimes write about it. Yeah, you just had one drop, oh, would have been Monday maybe, Sunday or Monday, I think, with uh, some bird calls, and you've got that bird app on your phone that you can identify all the different birds that you're seeing. So, again, check that out. It's definitely a, a breezier read probably than your normal deep west, uh, deep Midwest substack. Right, absolutely. And it's it's more fun, no politics, and it's just, there's so much going on out in the woods. I go to... Cedar Bluffs Recreation Area, and this Merlin Bird app is the greatest invention (laughs) since the printing press. (laughs) Yeah, you've showed that to me before. Very cool. And yeah, maybe we can get a sponsorship from the Merlin Bird app at one of these points. (laughs) A lot of stuff to get to today. A couple of big news dumps right before the Memorial Day weekend. So that will take up most of our Iowa coast to coast right at the top of our podcast today. Plenty to talk about. I mentioned the weather is warming up. A lot of campaigns coming to Iowa here this week, so the caucus season is starting to ramp up here and warm up in the state of Iowa, so we'll talk about some caulk talk, of course, today. We'll take a little bit of a wider scope. My grandpa was a Methodist pastor, and there was big news in the Iowa Methodist Church, so we'll discuss that a little bit. My top five today is top five stand-up comedians. Have you given any of that thought over a the past little. week? Okay, a little bit. And we also have some good news uh, to share this week, so... We'll get to that towards the end of the show. So we will start off with one of those news dumps. Governor Reynolds signed several bills just before the Memorial Day weekend on Friday, most of those having to do with education in the state of Iowa. I wanted wanted to highlight Laura Bellin's piece in Bleeding Heartland. This is, quote, more than 90% of Iowa students attend public schools. Even if all of their parents wanted to switch to a private school, there would not be enough openings, especially for students with disabilities or those who need individualized education plans. Dozens of Iowa counties don't contain a single private school, making education savings accounts useless for most residents unless they want to select a 100% virtual option, which that is part of the bill. You can just go to an online virtual school. In addition, many private schools have jacked up tuition since Reynolds signed the voucher bill, so private school will remain unattainable for many low-income families who may genuinely need state assistance. The majority of the education savings account money would need to be spent on tuition, leaving little left over for other qualifying expenses like textbooks or tutoring, and families must foot the whole bill for transportation to and from school, which is not a qualifying expense. There's a few other things to get to, but... Once again, she's just decimating public schools. Not once again, I mean, this is a continuation, but she has signed the bill and we've already seen tuition go up at most private schools throughout the state. And she makes a good point too. There's just all sorts of ways for people to game the system too with the virtual online learning. We'll see how many 
schools get opened up in the next few years that aren't actually teaching kids. They're just in it for the money. And the door is wide open for those people to do it. Well, yeah, and, and some private schools are adding modular classrooms as we speak. They're expanding with modular building spaces for the kids. And uh, so they'll be you know, doing new uh, buildings you know, sometime in the near future. And not only that, but the people administering, what is it, Odyssey? They're administering yeah. the, uh, the voucher systems to the tune of millions of dollars. Nothing is deductible say like books or pencils or anything unless you buy it from Odyssey. Right. That's just And it's a New York based company, I believe, so it's not a locally owned company. So we're gonna be spending all of our money out of state to begin with through this program. I do wanna also talk about the newly signed House File four thirty adds two parents of currently enrolled students to the State Board of Educational Examiners, which regulates the teaching profession and imposes disciplinary actions. Laura says it's a safe bet Reynolds will appoint like-minded conservatives to fill those roles. And that's about her whole parental empowerment. We've discussed this a little bit on, on the podcast previously, but those are just going to be two lackeys that are just going to vote along with whatever Reynolds wants. I mean, it's basically just a way for her to consolidate power. It's not really about getting more parents involved with their kids' education. If it was, it would be a merit-based thing, but these are just going to be people that ride on her coattails and agree with whatever she wants. Well, that's what she's doing with the consolidation of agencies and, and loosening the requirements that they be experts in their field. You know, I, parents already have that rights, they can do anything they want, they can walk into schools, ask questions. Well, not only that, but I was open enrolled when I first moved to Marion, that's where I grew up. We lived in a house down the street of a house that my parents eventually bought. So we moved to Marion, we were renting a house for about a year, a little over a year. So I was going to the Marion Independent School District. Then we moved down the block, just a few houses, they bought that house. And I ended up being in the Linmar School District, so then I opened enrolled and just stayed in the Marion School District. And I'm pretty sure you are in the Twin Cedars School District. I would imagine right. your kids are also open enrolled to go to Knoxville. Yeah, when they were in Knoxville schools, right. yeah, yeah. we opened enrolled them. It was an easy process. Yeah. It happens all the time. Right. So you already had school choice. And I mean, a lot of these private schools had, wouldn't call it vouchers, but they had scholarships and I had several friends growing up that didn't come from great resources that went to Catholic schools, and some of them got scholarships to attend those schools. You know, past alumni have uh, accounts and, and ways that they can sponsor kids that are deserving. So a lot of the kids that would benefit from this new rule were probably already going to private school. Right. And they only want the people that are smart anyway, you know, the kids that you would give scholarships to in the first place. Or whose parents are rich and can donate to the school. Exactly. Yeah, they're cherry-picking the kids. And at the same time, going to leave you know, a lot of the kids with uh, oh, special needs in the public schools. And then they decimated the area, well, $30 million cut to the area education agencies that help so much with our kids that need that extra help. In Senate File 496, that was the major bill that she signed on Friday, right before Memorial Day. The stuff that was about private schools and quote-unquote school choice had already been signed. But getting to what she just signed on Friday, a couple big things. First of all, it tramples, and this is again from Laura Bellin in the uh, Bleeding Heartland, 
Many parents want schools to provide age-appropriate instruction related to sexual orientation or gender identity. That's no longer going to be allowed. They want schools to be able to collect important public health data from a representative population of students. That won't be allowed. They want books by diverse authors and those covering controversial subjects to remain in the library. They want schools to be required to teach middle and high school students about HIV, HPV, and the vaccine that prevents HPV, but the law silences their voices. And that's an end quote from Laura Bellin from Bleeding Heartland. I've talked to public school teachers here in Marion and Warren counties, and I just happened to meet somebody uh, who was working out of the Des Moines school, and they're all very clear that they're not going to abide by a lot of these rules and regulations, and though they will fight for this to the end that they, you know, if, they have, if they're fired, they're fired, because they believe so much in, in teaching about diversity, equity, and inclusion, about helping the trans kids. They're not gonna stop helping kids. That's what they do. And to them, the ones I've talked with, they're willing to break the law. Any idea what the punishment is? I'm sure there's a step you know, the first one is a written warning. The second one is, a, you know, maybe you get suspended for a few days or whatever. But do you know what it's the something, actual... I've, I've read it. There's a process just about like what you said. Yeah. First of all, you might get yeah. a written warning and the school board talks about it in their meeting. And then second time you get suspended, third time. I believe the third time is you're just fired. Another bill that was signed just before... The Memorial Day weekend, Governor Reynolds also signed a bill that allows minors to work longer hours and in jobs they couldn't previously. It's likely to be challenged in the courts because it likely violates federal labor laws. There's already been reports from labor lawyers that there's no way this is going to be you know, upheld in the courts. Well, some of it sounds okay to me to get training like in carpentry or something that the kids want. But, you know, there's a process with that where the good construction companies, you know, they'll do apprenticeship programs. I believe in that kind of thing. But the stuff about longer hours, the kids are just going to do worse in school. And in some of the positions they want, I don't think kids should be serving drinks, you know, stuff like that. So, well, and I grew up doing construction and I don't think it was necessary. It's part of my identity of who I am, but I think I started too young. Mm-hmm. And I saw things and heard things and was around things and equipment that it would have probably been better for me to wait a couple of years. So just because I had to do it doesn't mean that I want kids now to do it. And the big lobbyist behind this was the Iowa Restaurant Association. So that just tells you right there who's behind it and what they want. It's hard for them to hire adults, so now they're trying to go to younger kids. Well, you know... And even doing things, like you said, serving alcohol in restaurants that they couldn't do before. And and even in construction, I would imagine the restaurant industry is fairly similar. My girlfriend has worked in the restaurant industry for a long time. And you're going to hear and see a lot of things, probably if you're you know 14 years old, that you maybe shouldn't be exposed to quite yet. Right, and there's some... Customers that are pretty darn abusive. Yes. That think that they're just, that just because you're serving them food, you can, they can treat you poorly. You know, when I was, you know, in college, I worked as a bartender and stuff like that. And people are tough to deal with sometimes. And I would imagine if you're even younger, it's easier to berate you. Yeah. Well, we've seen it. 
Right. And like I said, my girlfriend has stories almost every single night. She works as a, wait- a waitress, you know, one or two nights a week. And almost every night she comes home with some sort of story of being not abused, but not treated very well by a customer here and there. And harassed, I presume. Oh, absolutely. More Friday news dumps before a long Memorial Day holiday. Gary Barta, the Iowa athletic director, is retiring. He had a mix of success on the field, but off the field, Barta's tenure featured multiple high-profile lawsuits, which saw Iowa pay out more than $10 million just in the last six years. Those included a settlement of over $4 million to a group of black former Iowa football players who sued the university for discrimination. There was also a $6.5 million payout in 2017 over the firing of a former field hockey coach. A former senior athletic director also won $1.4 million in damages in 2017 for a discrimination lawsuit. And Rob Sand, the state auditor, called for the AD to be fired after the most recent lawsuit was settled with those former football players for $4 million. Don't let the door hit you on the butt on your way out. Right. I mean, good riddance. And the Ferences should go next. I, you would think that that's probably the writing on the wall because, of course, with Brian Ferentz being the offensive coordinator under his dad, Kurt Ferentz, Gary Barta was his immediate superior. So if there was any issues, Gary Barta would be the one that would discipline, fire, etc. Brian Ferentz. So you think the new AD is going to want to have to deal with that? Well, and the allegations are against the football program, including yes. head coach Ferentz. And his son, Brian. So, yeah, I think you're right. Good news. The only thing is, he's had a lot of success as as an athletic director. I don't care. I don't care. (laughs) It's irrelevant. If if you let somebody whose values allow a a racist program, a sexist program, a program that is hostile to the kids it works to include, just because they make money and have success. That's okay. You're making that's the American dream. Do whatever you want as long as you can make money and win. You know, stomp on the rights of everybody, but it's okay because he won. He's still winning. It's a lot of money. Ten million dollars over the course of six years. And you mentioned that it was a discrimination lawsuit with the former black football players at the University of Iowa, but that former field hockey coach that was that obtained that six point five million dollar payout. That was about sexual discrimination. And because the field hockey coach was in a, a relationship, a homosexual relationship with another coach, and he discriminated against them, and obviously they proved enough, $6.5 million worth of proof that he discriminated them uh, for being lesbian women. The fact that he was resigned and not fired is an abomination. Yeah. We'll leave it at that. It's time for some cock talk. Uh, we talked last week about Governor Ron DeSantis announcing his candidacy on Twitter with Elon Musk, and it ended up being an even worse disaster than we could have predicted. Did you pay attention to that at all? We talked yeah, last week that he was going to be doing that on our last pod. And if you haven't kind of caught up yet, we record these on Tuesdays, uh, Tuesday afternoons, and then we release them on Wednesday mornings. Every single Wednesday morning, you'll find an Iowa Revolution podcast in your email or whatever your podcast of choice is um and i thought it would go a little bit better than it did well i tried to log in to watch it and i couldn't even get anywhere so (laughs) so i just left and thought i'd read about it in the morning and it was a disaster 
I sort of feel for the guy because that's the kind of thing that I think would probably happen to me. The technology would fail. <laughs> right. But I mean, he's got all these high-priced consultants and Elon Musk has all the money in the world. They think you would think that they could game this out and figure out if you have the capacity. It's like we're radio guys. We know when does the, Iowa, well, not so much anymore, but in the past, when does the Iowa DOT uh, winter weather driving app crash? When there's a lot of winter weather. Yeah. Right. For when years, you need it the, when you need it the most. When you yeah. needed it the most for years, it didn't have the capacity. So I didn't even, for a while, didn't even go bother and look. It's better now. But you have the experts. You're Elon Musk. You you know, you should be able to make it just perfect, clear vision, absolute, pure audio. It should Everything should be perfect with all the money in the world. And it couldn't have gone any better for us, you and me. No. Well... <laughs> well, tell them why. Well, I mean, it really was. Well, first of all, it was about, I don't know, dozens of minutes before we even heard any voices. And then Elon Musk came on and said, OK, I think we're ready to get going. Then we hear echoes. Then we think we hear Ron DeSantis for a moment and then it crashes. So then eventually they got that figured out. But even Ron DeSantis, Mike was, you know, not very clear. I mean, it basically sounded like you and I, like two guys get together in a bathtub with a mic. And these are, you know, well, Elon Musk is the richest man in the world. And Governor DeSantis is running for the most powerful office in the world. Well, that says a lot, doesn't it? I think it does. Not a very good start. And he has not been off to a good start. We've talked about several different things where it doesn't seem like his handlers are doing the best by him. But DeSantis is in Iowa this week to begin his campaign. So he announced a week ago, now he's in Iowa. I mentioned we record on Tuesday, so he's speaking today and also tomorrow. Uh, According to the AP, DeSantis has a running start in Iowa and other early voting states thanks to Never Back Down, a super political action committee that is using money the group can receive in unlimited sums from wealthy contributors to begin organizing support for him. Campaign finance law requires the group to do its work without coordinating with DeSantis. Iowans should see staff and volunteers for the group working the perimeter of DeSantis's church event in Clive, which is going on today, which is Tuesday, as well as events that are on Wednesday in conservative western Iowa's Sioux City and Council Bluffs. He'll also be in Pella and also in east central Iowa before his finale in Cedar Rapids. Yeah, I'm going to go see him in Pella. Anywhere else going to go to Clive or anything like that? I don't like think that. so. I'm just going to go You'll get where the he's close. I mean, I'm sure it's the same stump speech. I've seen him before. I saw him in Des Moines, yeah. thousand people. The venue he picked in Pellet isn't very big. Where is he going to be speaking? Um, it's some kind of a wedding venue sure. on Fifield Road, and yeah. I've never been to it. But I, and I've seen the, the photos. It looks like a very nice place, but it's like a Iowa wedding venue right. size. Yeah, not large. No. Right. I would imagine he'd have a pretty good crowd in Pella. I would think. You would think that place would be packed. Well, they want it to be packed. They want it overflowing. That's what they do. They don't want everybody in. Yeah, they they don't want empty seats. No. And they want the pictures of the crowd lining up outside. Right. Yeah. And uh, Bernie Sanders was the the best at that because he had these wall divider kinds of things and he would move them in and out (laughs) to make his crowd look big or small right yeah he's a smart guy so yeah he's going to be kind of crisscrossing the straight over uh, the state over the next few days and by making his bit official DeSantis gives the group a rallying figure whose events it can attend so that's that 
Political Action Committee never back down, even if it cannot coordinate with DeSantis's official campaign group. We'll see how that goes too. There's been talks of them actually coordinating. So, but well, the they thing is, they never. Separate. They're not separate. Well, the thing is, I mean. I'm sure Democrats do the same. I'm not blaming Ron DeSantis on coordinating with his super PAC because I'm sure that happens in almost every campaign one way or the other. There's got to be some sort of talking between both sides. But it does look like he's off to a good start. We've been seeing Ron DeSantis commercials in the state of Iowa for at least the past month or two. Yeah, and uh, the media is pretty hard on DeSantis. Yeah. Really hard. And, And it's all by the people that have never seen him in Iowa. People loved him in Des Moines. I suspect they'll love him in Pella. And all the people in Washington, D.C. and New York and L.A. and wherever they are, if if they were seeing him on the ground, they would be writing a different story than they are. And there's still a large and possibly even growing Republican field. We mentioned, I think, even in our first podcast, how a larger field benefits Donald Trump more than anybody else. We've already got, I think, eight candidates that are officially in right now. With a few more that could enter, John Sununu, Chris Christie, Mike Pence, there's a few others. So Trump is just welcoming as many people as he can into this race because hopefully, because Trump knows he has his people. So as much dilution as he can get for everybody else, he knows he's going to be at 30% or 25%. So whittle those numbers down and he comes out as the victor. Unless he's in jail. That's a good point. <laughs> Hopefully he is. Wouldn't that be fantastic? He would be running for president from jail, though. You know that. Yeah, we'll see. It might, even, it might even win. That's how fucked up this country is right now. So Donald Trump, speaking of, he's also going to be at the state this week, less than three weeks after he canceled an outdoor event that you were going to be at in Des Moines due to severe weather. The former president will speak on June 1st, which is Thursday at the morning meeting of the Westside Conservative Club at the Machine Shed Restaurant in Urbandale. He'll then participate in a town hall hosted by Sean Hannity. That's been announced by Fox News. That event will be pre-taped in Clive and will air at 8 p.m. on Thursday night. Trump's campaign also confirmed to KCCI that he plans to have a private meeting with local pastors during his visit. Oh, yeah. Isn't that nice? Oh, yeah. Let them lay hands on that. And they were discussing that on CNN when I was home for my lunch break. They were talking about the evangelical vote. They had a... He's a, not going to get it. Bob, well, he'll get some of it, but Bob Vanderplatz has already distanced himself from Trump, the big, you know, yeah. evangelical kingmaker. We'll see, we'll see who they rally around. It's going to be very interesting. Trump's also going to be in the WHO radio parking lot, or he's having a gathering there. I guess he's going on one of the mega talk shows in the afternoon. Right. But so, go to the parking lot of WHO radio in Des Moines. Wow. Yeah. And that is his biggest play, I think. You have to be good with WHO radio if you're going to win the state of Iowa as a Republican. Right. Now, throwing a bunch of softball things. They're all MAGA all the time now. They didn't used to be. But, you know, after the Dominion lawsuit exposed what liars and frauds those people like Sean Hannity and Tucker Carlson are, apparently there's no implications for WHO radio. No, they continue on dividing our dividing our our state. Right. Yeah. So go to WHO and and see and see see their king, the MAGA king from MAGA Radio. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, it'll be big news over the next week. 
Trump and DeSantis in the state. And then not only that, according to KCCI, U.S. Senator Joni Ernst is hosting a number of Republican presidential hopefuls on her annual roast and ride in Des Moines. It's coming up uh, this weekend, I believe. That list includes conservative talk radio host Larry Elder, who is in the Republican nominating process, former South Carolina governor and United Nations ambassador Nikki Haley, businessman Perry Johnson, former Vice President Mike Pence will be there, tech entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, and South Carolina Senator Tim Scott. And the ride will take place. It is this Saturday on the Iowa State Fairgrounds. And it's become a draw for national Republican figures since it started in 2015. Yeah, and Joni announced today that DeSantis will be there as well. Oh, okay, good good deal. Thank you for adding that. And Trump probably will not be. Of course, he wouldn't be with the riffraff. He's not going to be in an event with eight different people. He's yeah. going to have his own event. I'm sure Joni Ernst invited him to be there, you would think. Yeah. And yeah, he just doesn't want to be seen with <laughs> Mike Pence. He's definitely yeah. not going to be in the same room as Mike Pence. I'll put it that way. But those names, I mean... Larry Elder, nobody knows who it is. Nikki Haley and Tim Scott, you would think, would have the best chance of the people I already named. You mentioned DeSantis is going to be there as well. You would imagine Nikki Haley and Tim Scott were not exactly enthused when they heard that DeSantis was going to be there, too. Well, I'm sure, yeah, I doubt it. But, you know, we'll see how they perform in front of the media. Who does the best? We'll see what if DeSantis trips again or falls off a bike or... You know, he is just horses, a, white boots on the bike or whatever. He he sort of reminds me of Marco Rubio or Ted Cruz based on the fact that he's just so easy to make fun of. Like SNL doesn't have to think too hard to make fun of Ron DeSantis. He does plenty of that to himself. He's almost like Mr. Bill. Oh no. Mr. <laughs> right. Something bad happens to him all the time. Yeah. He really is. He's just yeah, walking around on rakes all the time, hitting himself in the face. Uh, I do want to mention, we talked about it before we actually started recording, but uh, this is the Iowa Coast to Coast segment. This is where we talk about, obviously, Iowa news. Davenport has been in national news over the past two days with that building collapse in downtown Davenport. They were set to demolish that building today, and then they found more survivors. I saw earlier that they were bringing pets out and pet carriers as late as this afternoon. So they were set to demolish it, I believe, at 8.30 on Tuesday morning. I couldn't believe that they were talking demolition when they knew people were still missing. Right. You know, just you know, slowly pull it apart. Yeah. But... And there seems to be some question on, well, first of all, the owner of the building said that he had a structural engineer take a look at it and everything was structurally sound, which obviously was not the case. So you're thinking, well, how did he get an engineer to say that it was structurally sound? Did he maybe grease his palm a little bit, give a little extra money? And then even the Davenport mayor and the city officials didn't release a whole lot of information about what was going on. So it definitely seems like it's a little bit shady right now of what happened and why are you in such a rush to bring the building down? when there's the possibility for more survivors. And not only that, but just to do a more thorough investigation. Yeah, you would think so. It's so hard, though, to see if a building is structurally sound when so much of the structure of a building is obscured by, mm -hmm. you know, by 
drywall and yeah. plaster. And it's, or is below ground yeah. and you can't see what the foundation might be. So anyway, I wanted to mention that. we don't. I don't want to get too much into it because a lot of that might change by the time you're actually listening to this episode. But um, we'll let you know next week what we kind of find out if there's anything too major. So let's take a wider scope. Um, I just wanted to get this out here. Uh, the definition of the word woke, according to Merriam-Webster, is aware of and actively attentive to important societal facts and issues, especially issues of racial and social justice. I just wanted to say that on our podcast one time so people understand <laughs> what the word woke means. Yeah, you've been woke. A, you've been a proud member of the woke community for a long time. You wrote a great article on your Deep Midwest Substack about how you identify and how you became woke and what the word means. So I would definitely encourage people to reach that. I think that was probably one of your most read Substack articles. Yeah, it is. And did it get picked up? by the times or anything like that i couldn't remember if that was one that was or not i write to to think and ponder and decide how i think about things and i thought that seems like a pretty good thing to be and was watching conservatives pull it apart and make fun of people like that are woke and i think so you know the message is to be woke and proud own it i mean why wouldn't we want to be kind and caring about the people around us, whoever they are, and aware of systemic, you know, racism and anybody that acts like it doesn't exist. Just look at what the Iowa legislature did with respect to diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts, pulling things from schools. That's called systemic racism. Yeah. It's there. They're proof of it. Right. And you could go down the list. I mean, and it doesn't take... And anti-gay and trans and... And by no means am I the perfect person, but I do try to read from different perspectives, whether it's ta Coates or James Baldwin or histor- you know, historical texts. And I try to make myself as informed as possible. It doesn't make me perfect, but being aware of it doesn't mean that I'm you know, leading the charge. You know what I mean? Right. No, it means it's, that, I think it's, my point is it's just important for everybody, I think, to be woke, to understand yeah. our history and what's led up to this point and what's still wrong and things that we can address and fix in this country. It's called having empathy and recognizing that other people are important rather than you are the king and the center of the universe, which is what the, all the, the uh, people on the right wing and right-wing pundits and stuff. Notice how they stand up and throw insults out there. It's all about them. They think that they're perfect or that, you know, that our history has been perfect and to actually examine it and learn from our mistakes that we're being anti-American. They're just, it's just this money-making cycle of, of people that are some of the worst people amongst us. You brought up diversity, inclusion, and equity. Chick-fil-A just hired a director of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, of course, the right-wingers right away, we got to boycott Chick-fil-A. <laughs> it's like, what's next? Is Hobby Lobby going to be <laughs> boycotted by the right wing? Like, Chick-fil-A is your brand, man. Like, yeah. And even they recognize the need for it. By the way, I, it's a modern world. I don't eat at Chick-fil-A. I boycott Chick-fil-A. For completely different reasons, because they are them. They don't believe that women should have the right to choose. They're obviously highly religious, 
in not appropriate ways, according to me, and I'm not going to spend my money there. So it's just interesting that a place that I don't spend my money is now I'm being joined by the right wingers. I guess what goes around comes around. Yeah, I guess, you know, Cracker Barrel used to have a bad reputation and then they decided they were going to fix their problems. And now, you know, they're very inclusive. And you'd have to be, especially as a restaurant. You know, you have to, I mean, we mentioned the issues that Iowa restaurants are having finding people. Well, if you've got a, a very narrow worldview and you're only looking to hire a certain looking person or a certain kind of person, good luck running your business. Like you, as Chick-fil-A, you have to be able to reach people from different cultures and different backgrounds than you. One would think. You would, you would think. I, that, yeah. And what's so bad about that? It's just, there's nothing. No. And, you know, I hear it's pretty good. I've never been to a Chick-fil-A. I don't think it's all that good. The, honestly, the last time I had it, I was a teenager in Cedar Rapids. So I don't remember it being life-shattering good. So When I was a teenager, it wasn't invented. Chicken was very, very invented. <laughs> Chicken fingers were like the wave of the future yeah. when you were a young kid. Uh, more in a wider scope. This is sort of national, but also still local news. Really for me, it's local. 83 churches are leaving the Iowa Annual Conference of Methodist Churches, United Methodist Churches, about 11% of the 750 Methodist churches in Iowa. The 83 Iowa churches will no longer be part of the United Methodist Church after June 30th. The exit agreement for all the churches cites homosexuality and same-sex marriage. The agreement said the vote is, quote, for reasons of conscience regarding a change in the requirements and provisions of the Book of Discipline related to the practice of homosexuality or the ordination of marriage of self-avowed practicing homosexuals, end quote. Uh, the Book of Discipline is basically just the Methodist Book of Rules. Last year, the Iowa Methodist Conference allowed ministers to marry and ordain LGBTQ plus members. Well, sort of in the history of Methodism, that's always been a very progressive kind of help the common man kind of man right. woman kind of uh, religion. It's, it's, I don't know, its core tenets were to help the poor and, and appreciate, you know, other people. So, I mean, it seems that the regular congregation is moving forward and the others are, you know, moving backward or just deciding to isolate them solves from society to become increasingly irrelevant as time goes by and their congregations get smaller and smaller and smaller because the core value appears to be hate. That's the thing. If you're looking to grow your congregation, I don't know how this helps. A lot of these are in eastern Iowa too. Cedar Rapids, Dubuque, some of the churches are at. So how are you going to grow your congregation in those areas by denying homosexuals? I don't think you are, especially the young people are going to be leaving in droves or never come. I wanted to share a sermon. My grandpa, Dick Watkins, was a Methodist pastor for many years. He preached in Belmont, West Liberty, Marion, and Iowa City, Iowa. And a long time ago, my grandpa Dick has passed away. He passed away almost 25 years ago. And after he passed, a woman uh, put together some of his sermons, and I've kind of consolidated those, made a Google Doc out of it. So I was looking through, and I think this is my favorite sermon from my Grandpa Dick. Mary knew she was different. She was born with a cleft palate. Her lip was misshapen. Her teeth were lopsided. When she spoke, her speech was garbled. When kids would ask her what had happened to her face, she would say it was an accident. 
because she felt that somehow it was better for it to have been an accident than to have been born different. She was convinced that no one could love her or even like her until she entered the second grade and she met Mrs. Leonard. I love that she was Mrs. (laughs) Leonard, by the way. Mrs. Leonard was round and pretty and she had a fragrant smell about her. She had warm, dark, smiling eyes. Everyone adored her, but Mary loved her more than all the others for a special reason, because of the hearing test. The kids all knew about the hearing test. They had heard about it from the older kids and Mary was especially frightened of it because in addition to the trouble with her face, she was deaf in one ear and could barely hear out of the other. It was bad enough to have the one without admitting that she had these hearing problems, so she decided to cheat. She knew how it went. All the kids were placed in the hallway and one child would go in, one at a time, into the classroom and stand by the classroom door and would be asked to put one hand over one ear and listen as Mrs. Leonard would whisper something from the desk. Then the child would be asked either to answer the question or to repeat what she had said. So Mary decided that she would just cover one ear lightly. She was one of the last ones as usual. She knew from the other children what Mrs. Leonard usually had whispered, for they told as they came out of the classroom. She asked, what color is the sky? What color are your shoes? What is your name? And finally, Mary's turn came. She stood just inside the door and lightly cupped her hand over her bad ear, and then she waited. And then came the words that she longed to hear that God surely must have put into the lips and mouth of Mrs. Leonard. Seven words that changed the life of Mary forever. The little girl, who felt lost and alone, heard Mrs. Leonard, the teacher she adored, whisper softly, I wish you were my little girl. Oh, wow. I get goosebumps and kind of tear up every time I read that, but that, to me, is Methodism. Yeah. Fantastic. You shared your grandpa's stories with me a few years ago, and there's a pile of them, and they're all wonderful. He knows how to tell a story. Yes. And the message is is wonderful. And it's, yeah, it's universal. I don't think you need to be a Methodist or a Christian to understand what's really important and how we react and interact with the people around us, especially the people that don't get treated well. So let's talk about some good news. What's good this week? That was good. That was good. That was good news. Um not necessarily those Methodist churches being homophobes, but yeah, it was nice to cap that off with Grandpa Dick. Uh, and this is even, I mean, what's good this week, what's good. The debt ceiling may be resolved. Uh, the bipartisan deal struck by Democratic President Joe Biden and Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy would extend the debt limit for two years alongside modest federal spending cuts and a series of policy provisions. The 99-page Fiscal Responsibility Act, which McCarthy, a Republican from California, says will get a vote in the Republican-led House today, Wednesday. It'll need to pass the Democratic-controlled Senate before the June 5th deadline set by the Treasury Department to act or risk default. The core of the deal is a suspension of the debt ceiling currently at $31.4 trillion until January 1st of 2025. The Treasury Department could then use extraordinary measures to pay the bills, which typically last for months. That effectively resolves the issue through the 2024 election, leaving it to the next president and the new Congress to deal with. The bill would rescind about $28 billion in unspent COVID relief funds. It would eliminate $1.4 billion in IRS funding and shift about $20 billion to non-defense funds. It would restart federal student loan repayments after a lengthy pause that began at the start of the pandemic. 
It would also slap work requirements to get supplemental nutrition assistance program and temporary assistance for needy families benefits on people up to 55 years old. The current threshold is 50 with carve outs for veterans and homeless people. The bill would overhaul the National Environmental Policy Act to streamline permitting for projects and House Republicans tout it as the first significant reforms to the NEPA since 1982. So all told, that seems like a decent deal for the Democrats. Yeah, it does. It, I, w- I wish we didn't have to think about things like a horse race, who wins and who loses, mm-hmm. but we do that. It's sort of our nature. I think in general, I mean, there are people on the left that are disappointed. There are mega clowns on the right that are disappointed, but they would never like anything. Exactly. The only thing they would like would be to default. Because right. then... They want go, chaos. Yeah, they yeah. want chaos. But, no, I think, I think it's a Biden victory. We'll see if McCarthy survives. Yeah, no kidding. We'll see. They'll call, you know, whatever it is, the, the question regarding his chairmanship. So Which he barely got in the first place. Right. It's not like he's had the, the best chairmanship so far. He barely got in, and I don't think he's making a whole lot of friends up until now and then making this deal with President Biden. I think the biggest thing we mentioned last week, or maybe it was the week before, I, my assumption was that they would make sure that the deal only lasted for a year, so it would affect Biden's chances yeah. during the election. So the fact that it would, you know, it would at least extend that debt ceiling out to the first of January of 2025, we would have already had the election by that point. Yeah, that was a big win for Biden. Right. Yeah. I mean, and ultimately, the American people won. Yes. Mostly. Yes. I mean. There's some people that will be impacted in a negative way that didn't have to happen. And the the irony was that what the Republicans didn't want to pay for was, what, $1.7 trillion in tax cuts that Trump signed into effect for the richest people on the face of, of the earth. They, was, they didn't want to pay for their tax cuts to the rich. That's what this was all about. And looking into this, I heard, I forget where, that the four, that, well, a couple things going on. First, the 400 most wealthy people in the United States, the 400, they pay about an 8% tax rate. Mm-hmm. Yep. And in the 1950s and 1960s, the top tax rates for the wealthiest people were 72% and 90%. Yeah. And that's when the middle class was doing well. We built the interstate highway system. We put a, a person on the moon and we destroyed communism back when we had those high tax rates. And now you know, it's, that's, that's not what's happening right. because all the wealth has gone from the middle class and the poor to the rich people. They've just sucked it all up. And that's what Republicans are all about, sucking up public funding that should go for public things, the public good like highway systems, like bridges and roads. They want it to be siphoned out of the public hands into the private sector so they can buy a bigger mega yacht. And that's what the Republican Party is all about. It's interesting, too, because one of the biggest concessions was that $1.4 billion in IRS funding, and that money was to go to get money out of rich people right they don't have enough staff right now 
So, and this has been, I've read several articles going past or going back five, six years that they just don't have the staff to go over, to, to go against the big fish because they can lawyer up and, and drag this out. So they go after the small fish. I mean, I've never been audited before, knock on wood, but you and I are the kinds of people that they go after because that's how they can collect a few extra nickels just to get their their budget right. And the Republicans lie and scare people. Yeah, they like say they that they're going to go after Republicans yeah. and yeah, yeah, right, which is yeah. Well, they're going. They're not going after poor Republicans. They're going to go after rich everybody's. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, it is interesting that it is. It always goes back to helping out the rich as, as much as possible. Uh, a lot of news this week. Anything I missed or anything that you want to discuss that uh, I didn't have on the agenda today? No, I think you did a great job. Thank you. Well, it's time for my top five this week. Top five stand-up comedians. And I know you thought a little bit. Before I give mine, who's your number one comedian? Who's your favorite stand-up comedian? Probably Robin Williams. Ooh, yeah, that's a good one. Not on my top five, so I'm glad you mentioned it. He'd be just outside of my top five. But I think, yeah, I think that was one of the best things. He was multi-talented, of course. He could play drama. He could, was in all sorts of movies and comedies. But I think stand-up was probably his best skill. Yeah, improv. Just oh because God. he could, yeah, I mean, he could use all those skills that he has in one one-hour-long show rather than focusing on just one role, you yeah. know, in a movie or a TV show or playing Mork or, you know. When he was doing stand-up, he could be virtuosic, you know, or virtuosic. Yeah, he was great. <laughs> yeah, what, what was the, that whole bunch of men and women that were, uh, whose line is it anyway? Mm-hmm. Got, yeah. Uh, yeah, they were good. Yeah. I, li- I like the spontaneous people. Right. All right, my top five, number five, is Dave Chappelle. I've heard of him, but never seen him. Really? You've never watched the Chappelle show or anything? It's past my bedtime. Okay, we'll go on to number four. Dr. Bob is unfamiliar with Dave Chappelle. Well, he's a legend. Uh, I would imagine a lot of people would have him as their number one stand-up comic. Uh, He's a legend, and the Chappelle show is probably, you mentioned that you like, you know, improv. It's not improv, it's sketch comedy. But if you like SNL, Chappelle show is excellent. Number four, another guy that you probably have never even heard of, Anthony Jeselnik. It's, yeah, no, I've never heard of him. His name is interesting. It is. Uh, he is a pretty offensive comedian, but very smart, very bright. He actually wanted to be a novelist. I think he went to like Tulane or something like that and got in the creative writing program down there and ended up being a stand-up comedian. So he's a very technical writing kind of, you know, he doesn't improv. Like he writes out his jokes and delivers them in a very specific way. Sort of like George Carlin was George Carlin was a writer. Was, yeah, he was fantastic. Uh, another guy that's not in my top five, but excellent, excellent stand-up comedian. Number three is Eddie Murphy. When I watched Raw and Delirious when I was a teenager, I don't know if I've ever laughed as much as I did watching Eddie Murphy's stand-up. Yeah, he's great. Outrageously funny. And of course, SNL and his movie career, I mean, he's got to be in the top five stand-up comedians of all time. Number two, Gallagher. Are you a Gallagher fan? You gotta no. be a Gallagher. Yeah, I, rem- fan. I remember Gallagher. Yeah, I like Gallagher. Smashing the watermelons, smashing all yeah, the fruits. That was good. He Makes had a big me... couch that he would jump around with a trampoline in it. Gallagher was great, and it re- that reminds me of somebody else that was a great comedian, Emo Phillips. Yes. Yeah. About that same time. Right. 
yeah, very idiosyncratic um, observational comedy mm-hmm. from Emo Phillips. Ready for my number one? Sure. I think it's probably a lot of people's number one. Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor was pretty amazing. Oh, he was great. <laughs> and you know who else? You're too young to remember, but Jonathan Winters was great. I'm not too young to remember Jonathan Winters. He was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. He was good. He was on like, yeah, he was on TV shows and stuff when I was a kid. I guess I like improv. I just love improv. Right. Well, any other comedians or sketch comics or improvisational comics that need to be mentioned? I think John Candy was very good. Yes. All those people that came out of Second City were good. Bill Murray. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, to come up with a top five, it's hard. It is. Oh, yeah, there. I mean, I, I love stand-up comedy, and I could go on and on about my favorite stand-up comics, but, yeah, that's... I, I put some more thought into this one, and I'm pretty happy with how this one panned out. Groucho Marx. That goes way back before mm-hmm. my time. Yeah. You probably performed with Groucho Marx, didn't you, back in the day? <laughs> no. no, but I loved I loved watching him as a kid. And it, I mean, their work, you know, their work was a, like my parents' generation. It was that time. Well, actually, my grandparents probably. They were fantastic. And Buster Keaton, in terms, you know, in the talkies. Right. I mean, just his physical comedy is incredible. And a lot of that stuff still stands up. You oh, can yeah. still watch a lot of yeah. that Groucho Marx or Buster Keaton and still laugh at it. You know, it's just sort of timeless things that they did. Yeah. Abbott and Costello. Yeah. Three Stooges back in the day. Laurel and Hardy. Well, even like I Love Lucy still holds up. Like you can watch a lot of those shows or the Munsters. You can watch a lot of those shows and still laugh. I mean, they're still funny. You know? Those comedy shows are still funny. What are hard to watch or like the westerns, yeah, and some of the dramas. It's like they take so long to play out. <laughs> right, but the comedy, all comedy is timeless. Right, if it's good. Yeah, if it's good. Uh, next week, top five Spencers. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Doctor Bob had fun as always. We'll be back next Wednesday again at Iowa Revolution on Twitter. Make sure you follow and subscribe to all of our Iowa Podcasters Collaborative community. We're adding more and more as we grow this thing. And of course, as I mentioned, make sure that you subscribe and follow Robert Leonard's Deep Midwest and Cedar Creek Nature Notes. Cedar Creek Nature Notes. Cedar Creek Nature Notes. So yeah, make sure you search that out on Substack. Dr. Bob, always a pleasure. We'll see you in a week. Thanks. Thanks.